I have been looking forward to this since the fall. Today we start as a congregation going through this short yet absolutely pivotal New Testament book or truth be told letter that you'll find in the Bible that is, well, that's amazing. And I hope you take my word for that right now, but I think you'll see it firsthand as we go through this letter together. For the next 12 weeks, we're going to be going through this letter of Galatians passage by passage. You can use it as a little bit of a timer until warm weather. It's going to take us all the way up to Palm Sunday. So if you want to know when winter is gone and spring has come, just track it by Galatians on Sunday morning. But I've been looking forward to this um, since the fall, really, for two reasons. And one is this, and it might seem self-evident, but it's really not. I just think the Bible's really important. And personally, it's through the words of the Bible that God has spoken most nearly and closely to me. It's where I have found my most... (laughs) in deepest points of connectivity with God, insights into who God is, and more than just who God is, but who I am. What's going on in the world? I love how the Bible itself describes itself as as a message of the foolishness of God that shames the wisdom of the wise, that I truly believe this. In the Bible, we find the secrets of the universe. We find the secrets of life and that it is not just a record of things that happened way back then. And it's not just a collection of information, but it's a way that God speaks. It's a record of God, how how God has spoken, but it's a way God continues to speak. God is still speaking in the letter of Galatians. He's certainly speaking to me and I hope that through this time of going through this book that you'll also see that he's speaking to you. And you know what? This letter of Galatians, it is a Holy Spirit saturated book. You know, all this year we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Every year, I don't know if you know this, but I kind of like to look for a theme, if you will, or a a story arc or a trajectory. What's an area of focus that we're going to do as a congregation? And since the school year began, that area of focus has been the Holy Spirit, who he is, how he works, what he's doing, how to have a relationship with him as part of this God that we're seeking and loving and who is seeking us. And the book of Galatians is all about the Spirit of God. You know, this fall, we've been approaching the Holy Spirit topically, but now we're going to get to see how a book of the Bible itself roots itself in the Spirit, telling us who he is, how he works, what he's about. These next several weeks in particular, we'll be looking at the way of the Spirit, the Tao of the Spirit, if I can even put it that way. What is the way of the Spirit in this World and later, what life in the Spirit looks like. And so as we journey through Galatians together, this is more than just conveying information, but hopefully opening up a field of vision and opening up each of our hearts 
to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us challenging our way of thinking, giving us new ways of seeing what God is doing in the world, new insights into what is true and what is not, what is good and what is not, how God is operating and how he invites us to join and partner with him. Going through a book of the Bible is honestly my favorite thing to do. And it's so much more than finding a favorite verse to back up a truth claim that we want to make. No, what I want to do with Galatians is something broader. I want to help you not just find a verse or passage that speaks to you or a punchline, if you will, to a question. I want you to see the contours of where this writer named Paul is taking us. The argument that he's making, not just what it says, but why he says it. Because for me, the Bible is not about finding a command by which we're supposed to live. But it's about living in continuity with the storyline and flow of where it's trying to take us. And the storyline and flow of Galatians is this. It's all about the gospel. And there at the heart of the gospel is the Holy Spirit working. Holy, uh, Galatians is all about the gospel. It was written by the Apostle Paul. He went by a previous name, Saul, earlier in his life, back when he was a terrorist. See, Saul was a religious zealot who saw this Christian movement as a threat, an offense, and a blasphemy to God. And he dedicated his life into rooting that Christian movement out, stamping it out even by force and violence. But God loves this guy named Saul, just like he loves you and me. And it's something radically offensive that you're going to find about the gospel is that God does not just love good people. He loves the worst of the worst as well. And so the risen Jesus whom Saul was persecuting appears to Saul literally on the road as he is going to a city to stamp out the Christian movement there. And Jesus confronts him face to face. And for Saul, it changes everything so much that he even changes the name by which he goes by. And this once terrorist dedicated to stamping out the way of Christ, gives his life to spreading the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And in this letter of Galatians, written by this terrorist-turned-missionary named Paul, you are going to see the passion of a man who has been deeply affected by the risen Christ and the way of the Spirit in his life. A man for whom Christianity is more than just right answers and good information, but a very way of being that affects you and transforms you to the core. In this letter, you're going to see his passion pour out, and even at times, anger and indignation. Because the letter of Galatians roots itself in this. 
That many of these Christians in this region called Galatia that Paul is writing to, many of whom came to faith because of the witness and ministry of Paul, are starting to turn to other things. They're starting to trade up. They're starting to believe a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now, most people speculate that this letter of Galatians was written maybe 10, 15, at most 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, arguably 45 to 50 AD. And so the issue that Paul is writing about might seem like it's an ancient issue to early Christians way back then, but let me tell you, it is an issue that is alive and well today. That there are people who think there are Christians and better Christians. And that the way of the Spirit and the way of God is all about going from the gospel to the gospel plus something else to become a better Christian, more pleasing to God. And Paul attacks this head on and turns it on its head. Because for Paul, the gospel is everything. For Paul, the gospel is not just something to make non-Christians into Christians. For Paul, the gospel is what Christianity is all about. And for a Christian to live and practice Christianity with anything other than the gospel is to cease being a Christian at all. Galatians is written to Christians, not to non-Christians, about this powerful, amazing, wonderful, transformative thing that the Holy Spirit is immersed in that we call the gospel. And so today, we're going to begin our journey into this letter. And we're going to begin it by looking at the introduction of what Paul actually has to say. Now, over these next several weeks, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to actually follow along with me. Because each week, we're going to read the words for themselves. Because I'll tell you, these words are more important than my words. And so we're going to see what Galatians has to say for itself, but I encourage you to do more than just allow it to wash over you passively, but I encourage you to bring this and to actually follow along. And as you're reading, to see what insights strike you, what God is doing for you. If you don't like to do it that way, well, do it the easier way and use this. Download the YouVersion app on your phone. It's free, it's easy, and they are not going to sell your information. It is one of the most powerful Bible tools you can have. In fact, you can carry a thousand Bibles around with you right here. And just follow along as we do Galatians. But I invite you today, if you have either of those mechanisms readily available to you, to open with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1. And what we're going to do is look at these introductory statements that Paul has to make that set the stage for everything to come in verse 1 through Five. Now, I've got good news on top of good news for you today. I'm actually able to fit all of it right here on the screen. So if you don't have that mechanism today, well, 
you got it right here to follow along, but I, I promise you this, as we get deeper, unless you want like four-point font, there is no way I'm going to be able to get the totality of the passages up here. But let's read it. Let's read it and then think about what Paul is setting up for us and what he has to say. It begins, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, for me, when I read the Bible, often these introductions are kind of a throwaway, right? It's like when someone writes you a note and they say, like, dear Dave, and you're like, ooh, that was moving, right? It's just kind of like a throwaway, isn't it? And yet in these introductions, Paul embeds things that he is going to tease out throughout the rest of the letter. And in this introduction, there are three things that I want you to hone in on. Three things that Paul is going to develop later on that he starts to hint at right here. There is a challenge. There is an issue. And there is an assumption. There is a challenge that Paul is going to make. There is an issue at hand that he is going to expose. And there is an assumption Paul makes, something that he thinks you know, but you don't know. But if you don't know it, you're not going to be able to follow the flow of what he's trying to say. Welcome to the joy and difficulty that we often have with the Bible, right? A challenge, an issue and an assumption are embedded here in the beginning of this letter. Now it starts as all ancient letters would start, not so much the way that we would handwrite a letter. By the way, does anyone handwrite letters anymore? Anyone? Bueller? Yeah, a few of you. Okay. Well, welcome to the 21st century when such things are not needed, but God bless you for keeping the old arts alive. But ancient letters followed a different format. We start to body and then from at the end, right? To Dave, here's what I gotta say, from blank. But ancient letters were a little bit different. They're more like a modern email. From, to, regarding. Who's it from? Paul. And of all the things that Paul can say about himself, what does he say? An apostle. An apostle, not just any apostle, sent, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ. You know what Paul is doing? He's throwing the gauntlet down. He's playing the authority card because there's people in this region called Galatia that are challenging, wondering, and doubting him. He is asserting his authority. Paul is saying, I am an apostle, equal to the apostles that walked with Jesus Christ himself. Oh, you know the 12, well, minus one, Judas, 11. Those who walked with him and ate with him and lived with him and heard his teachings face to face and mouth to ear, but I am just as much an apostle as they are. 
I'm not coming to you because some church sent me. I'm not coming to you because some people raised me up. I'm not coming to you because I reflected on them and thought I was a good idea. I'm not coming to you by my own authority. No, I am sent not from men nor by man, but I am sent by Jesus Christ himself. Do not overestimate or underestimate, I should say, what Paul is saying in these opening lines. Because what you're going to see play out in Galatians is Paul coming head to head or face to face with what other apostles are teaching and doing. You're going to see a challenge, a showdown, a grudge match, if you will, between the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul. And Paul writes to this church going, I know what you've signed. I know what you've heard. And I know what Peter did. But let me tell you, I am sent by Jesus Christ as well. And I've been sent to tell you the truth of the gospel. It's a challenge that Paul is laying out. Now to the issue. Look at this next line. He says this to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you. You notice it doesn't say to the church in Galatia, but to the churches. It's written to more than one. See, I think in our modern day, when we think about a church, we think about a building that's big enough to house us all that we all come to worship in. But that's not the way it was in Jesus' day. What I'd like you to imagine is this. Imagine that this campus that we know, 6120 Mason Hill Road, was to vanish, it was to disappear, that it did not exist. And instead, the church known as Fellowship of Faith was a collection of small gatherings. People meeting in homes. People meeting in restaurants. People meeting, shoot, I don't know, even outdoors. A gathering of five over here, a gathering of 12 over here, maybe a gathering of 20 over here, a gathering of 10 over here. Christians gathering together in the most intimate way and yet sharing their lives with each other, home to home and group to group. Paul is writing to a collection of churches throughout a region. A collection of Christians gathering in their homes and small different places and he's writing to them hoping that they will share something together, not isolating, not separating but doing life in common, even if they don't meet together. He writes to these churches in Galatians and he greets them in a specific way. Grace and peace to you. There are more to these words than meet the eye. See, there's an issue happening in these churches in Galatia. And it basically goes like this. Paul came to the region. Paul shared with them what God did in his life. Paul explained to them the gospel and people started to believe. But what's odd is that the people who started to believe were unlike the people who believed the message at first. Because Christianity was a Jewish movement. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jews. His ministry was in Israel, 
among Jews. And so those who came initially by and far to put their faith and belief in Christ were Jews. But guess what? Galatia is not in Israel. Galatia is actually in modern-day Turkey, if you want to know where it falls on a map. And shortly after Jesus rose from the dead, and shortly before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples this. He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And when it does, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, which by the way is still in Israel, and to the ends of the earth. What we see happening in Galatians is what Jesus promised playing out. The Holy Spirit came upon people, including Saul. They went out and shared the good news of Jesus, and now non-Jews started to believe. That sounds like good news, isn't it? But you know, it rarely sounds like good news to those who are already the establishment. Who are these new people coming in? Who are these new people with interests that are different than my interests? Who are looking to turn the ship? Who are these people with different values than what I have? And their way of doing things, their ideas of right and wrong, their ideas of prioritizing what's important, man, it's just so off the beaten path. These are people that are ethnically different than I am, of a different language, arguably, than I am, culturally different than I am, and don't share any of the religious background that I hold dear. What was happening in these churches in Galatia is Jewish believers were becoming infused, and dare I say overtaken, by Gentiles who dominated the region. And the Jews didn't like it. And the Jews find themselves, the Jewish Christians arguably is what I mean. The Jewish Christians didn't like it. They didn't like it because they saw these people as a threat. A threat to their way of life. A threat to the religiosity that they held dear. A threat to the old ways, the traditions. A threat to what it really meant to be a person rooted in the Mosaic Code as the greatest expression of what it means to be a person of God. And Paul comes to this, this conflicted area, this conflicted church, and he says this to them. Grace and peace. Now, in its own right, the words are powerful enough to stand on their own to anyone in conflict. Would you agree? When you find yourself immersed in conflict, oh, to wish, to pray that there would be grace and peace. But Paul is doing something more. Question. Let's see if you know this. How do you greet someone, or put another way, how do you say hello in Hebrew? How does a Jew say hello to another Jew? You actually know it. Shalom. A Jew would not come to another Jew and say hello. A Jew would come to another Jew and say 
Shalom. And what does shalom translate to? Peace. But Gentiles are not Jews. Gentiles don't speak Hebrew. Gentiles, therefore, would probably say hello in another way. And here's how they would say it. Karain. Give me a Karain. Turn to the person next to you and say Karain. Turn to the person next to you and ask if they're a Jew and if they are, say Shalom instead. And do you know how you translate the word Karain into English? Just like Shalom does not translate to hello but to peace, Karain does not translate to hello but to grace. Grace and peace, hello and hello, because both of you matter in the kingdom of God. You Jewish Christians matter in the kingdom of God. You Gentile Christians matter in the kingdom of God. Both of you are equally important to Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Grace and peace, Karain and Shalom. And automatically and already even tucked within the intro of this letter, we see Paul starting to cut a path through the conflict that was tearing these churches apart. So we have a challenge. Paul laying down his authority as an apostle. We have an issue, a conflict between Jew and Gentile and what it truly means to be a person of God. And now we have an assumption. And Paul says this, grace and peace to you from God the Father who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from what? The present evil age. That God gave himself for us, that Jesus Christ gave himself for us and for our sins to forgive our sins? Well, yes, but he doesn't say that. No, he focuses on something else and said that Jesus died for you to rescue you and to rescue you from something very specific, from the present evil age. Let me unpack for you this morning an assumption. An assumption about something that Paul assumes you know, but that you probably don't. An assumption which Paul is not going to spend any more time in his letter explaining, but if you don't catch this, Galatians will remain a closed book to you in terms of the argument the flow and the contour that Paul is trying to make. Let me show you a couple graphs. In a Jewish way of thinking, world could be divided or history could be divided into two ages. What would be called this age and the age to come. Now, every culture, every society, including us today, we all tend to try to divide time or history into different periods or ages, don't we? We don't use the word of age too much anymore, but it isn't absent from the English language. We'll talk about the Stone Age. We'll talk about the Iron Age, the Bronze Age, the Space Age, the Computer Age. From a Jewish way of thinking, there were simply two. This age, 
Everything that we know that has been existing since time began, this age that we live in now. But the Jewish mind looked forward to a day because the scriptures prophesied a day when God would come and break into this age. When God would come from his throne in heaven to come down and personally be present among his people to rescue his people, to rescue this creation, to set all wrongs to right, to vindicate that which is unjust, to renew that which is broken, to restore that which has become defiled. They looked forward to an age to come, an age when all things would be made new, when all people would be made new, a day when you would be made new because God would come and change everything. He would come and restore it all. We would think of it as something that we would call like what? Judgment day? And at that point, the old order of things would pass away. The old ways of connecting with God would no longer be needed because now he's here. He's present and all things are new. The way that the universe functions would be different Because God is now here, restoring and renewing the defilement. They saw themselves as living in an age, yearning and hoping for an age to come. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And with his message, he proclaims that the kingdom of God is near, that the kingdom of God is upon us, that the kingdom of God has come. For a moment, it looked like all that he did fell apart. He fell into the hands of the authorities. He was killed. He was nailed to a cross. He was buried. One more prophet crushed by the present evil age. But the essential story of the gospel and the message of hope is this, that three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead. And I don't mean his spirit went up to heaven to be with God. I mean, he beat death. I mean, his body came out of the ground. I mean, he came back and didn't just come back a bloody mess. Stronger, more powerful, renewed. The new person of the new age The resurrected man who was the first of the many to come when God would return on that day of the Lord to reverse death and bring life, to reverse brokenness and bring wholeness, to restore and renew all things. See, the message of Easter and the message of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your sins, but when he did, God ushered in his new age. That the present age has begun to fade. And now we find ourselves coming in to the age to come. So according to a Christian, the two ages would look like this. It seems as though this age continues on, but the day of the Lord broke in at Easter. And until Christ comes again, we live in an overlap between these two ages. We live both in this present age and in an age to come. So to look at it this way, 
there is a present age, there is an age to come. And in this strange time between Jesus' first and second coming, the lines are blurred and we live in what we can call a dawn of the Lord. Now, Paul assumes you know this. And for Paul, this means everything. Because for Paul, the message of Galatians is that while we might still be living here in this age, or if I was to use that previous graph, on the top timeline, God, through his spirit, invites us to live in the age to come. That yes, you may exist in this age, but he wants to change your thinking your perspective, your way of relating to God, not as a person of this age, but as a person of an age to come. For Paul, that changes everything. For Paul, that means everything. For Paul, that defines what life in the spirit is like. And let me show you why. At the beginning of this message, I shared with you that I believe these words are important. That I think it's the way in which God speaks to us. That what God says here is a message about who he is, about who we are, and about how we're supposed to live in relation to him. Many of you, I think, would agree. But have you ever actually read it? Especially a lot of these words in the beginning. You know, the ancient rabbis, these teachers of the way of God, took it so seriously that they went through the trouble of counting up all the ways that God called his people to live in relation to them. There were 79 Christmas trees at Fellowship of Faith. Would you like to guess how many ways of God or commands of God you can count in the pages of the Old Testament? 300, that's a good guess. The bidding is going higher. What do you think? How many? 613. 613 commands of God. Do you want to live according to the way of God? I don't think you would be here if you didn't. Do you know them? then how on earth can you say you want to live according to the way of God if you don't even take the time to know what God says? You see the issue. But there are some people who took it seriously, who said, I just don't want to say I want to live according to the way of God. I actually want to do it, which means I got to know what it says. And have you ever actually read some of what it says? There's some pretty weird things. Things like don't cut the hair at the side of your face or dangling from your head. Things like don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Don't plant your field with two kinds of seed. But other things, more painful things like every male among you must be circumcised and this shall be a lasting ordinance for you forever and anyone who isn't is cut off. Kind of a 
pun in that, I think. <laughs> See, there's all these commands about the way of God that define what a person of God was supposed to live like. And those of you who have taken the time to read the Bible a little, I bet you've gotten stung by some of these. And more so, I think you've gotten stung by some of the language, how it says, these are to be lasting ordinances forever. And yet, we don't practice these. Why? Because of something Paul assumes that forever has come. How do you think of forever? How long does forever last? If you say that something is forever, how long does that go on for you? The universe just keeps going forever. Would you agree? Kind of, maybe. I know there's some physicists in the room who are going to tell me it's expanding, but you know what I mean, right? And yet, don't we have a belief of an idea of a day when God is going to come and change everything? That what we call forever will end. When we think about ourselves being bound by the laws of God forever, does that include into eternity too? Does that include into like life everlasting with God in heaven? Yeah, it does. You got to be circumcised in heaven. Yeah. You, you got to plant your field with two kinds of seed. Not, not with two kinds of seed in heaven. Uh, do, do the commands last that long? Well, you might be shaking your head yes, but no Jew in the entire kingdom come would ever said the same. Because they saw two ages this age and an age to come. And when that age to come comes, it changes everything. That in Jesus, the age to come is here. And as one in Jesus, you get to live in the new age even though you still remain in the present evil one that's here. And that changes everything and how you relate to God. This letter that Paul writes to these early Christians in this region of Turkey called Galatia is about something so much more than just Jesus dying for my sins, as important as that is. It's that Jesus died and rose again, not just for my sins, but to usher in God's new way of doing everything. And I hope in this journey over these next several weeks, your perspectives and field of vision and understanding of how the Bible works and God is operating in this universe become formed according to a new way that he's calling you to relate and to live.